So today, I wanted to do something different. I know you've already heard my story of recovery from BPD, but I want to share the stories of other people around the world that have also recovered. Today, I'm fortunate enough to get to interview a really awesome guy. His name is Sean Keyes from Ireland. He recovered, and he wants you to know how he did it. I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. All right, welcome to the show, Sean. Why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Uh, I'm from Ireland. I'm 42 years of age. Um, I'm married with three kids, uh, twins and, and my daughter. My daughter's six and the twins are four. I'm with my wife 18 years, and um, I spray cars for a living. Oh, that's awesome. Mm. Very cool. So how did you find out? Tell us about your journey through BPD. How did you find out that you were diagnosed, and then what did that mean for you? Tell us your story. Uh, In 2009... So I came from a very traumatic childhood. So my father, you know, he, he, he would have been a psychopath, like genuine psychopath. And um, yeah, he would, have, he would have been a very violent man, but yes, without remorse, as all psychopaths are. So my childhood, he was very, very hard on me as a child. Um, for some reason, he zoned in on me. We have eight siblings in our family. And he zoned in on me. And he just hated me. He absolutely hated me as a child. And he spent his life trying to crush me, if I'm being honest, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. Not in the normal sense. I mean, I'm 42 now, so I can understand, and I have kids, you know, if they do something silly that you could get upset or you might get angry if you have angry issues. But he actually went beyond all that. He Mm -hmm. went to a different level where he would maliciously try to hurt me. You know, he would literally, he tried to give my, he would wait for me to come home from school and then give my younger brother sweets in front of me. Oh, wow. Just, just waiting for me to come in the door. Like, and yeah, he was just a different level. He, he was an evil, evil man. God rest him, he's dead now, but he was an evil man. But he continuously told me when I was a child, I was useless and worthless and I would never achieve anything. And, um, you know, he would he would spit in my face. Uh, he would, if I won awards for running in school, he'd break them up in front of me. Um, like this is all before the age of thirteen. Wow. So he, um, yeah, he just zoned in on me, like, and he would, you know, as a child, then he'd drag you out of bed at night. He'd come home drunk, drag you out, and he'd beat you up, and put you back to bed, and make you breakfast the following morning as if nothing ever happened. Um. Yeah, really horrific man, to be honest with you. That's horrible. Um, That's awful. <laughs> you'd want to live it. <laughs> <laughs> he still has his humor, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, so that was that. So then, um, yeah, he would have constantly told me that I was worthless, useless. Um. So I, I had no state exams. When it came to the exams, I wouldn't do them. Um, for fear that if I failed them, he would be right. And so I had no actual state exams, even though 
I can tell you at 42, I, I have a sense of intelligence, but I wouldn't do them for fear. If, if I failed, he would say, look, I told you you're a failure. So my whole life, I grew up thinking I was a failure and uh, a monster was another word he'd use. So basically, I the first person in my life to show me kindness was my brother-in-law. And I remember he brought me to see a film, Batman, in 1989. And I couldn't believe that he actually showed me kindness and he bought me popcorn. And I just couldn't believe for the first time in my life a male was doing this for me. And yeah. uh, he, was a, he was a panel beater. So I thought, geez, panel beaters must be good. So I, 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 at 12 years of age, I said, I'm going to become a panel beater. And that's what I did. Even though I've zero interest in cars which is funny <laughs> and I couldn't even tell you what an alternator looks like even though I had my own business and stuff yeah I, I, I love the trade but um, I went on from that uh, that was when I was 12 and then at 16 I left school and I joined the trade and then I was being bullied in work where I was mm-hmm. and what happened was is you know the guy in work was saying I was useless and it crushed me because for the first time then someone outside of my family was saying the exact same thing and that absolutely crushed me. I was going, so he must be right, you know, so I'd actually believed in it. So in 2006, I was about six years in that job and my father got cancer and he was dying. Now, and I had made my amends with my father at that stage. Mm-hmm. But but to uh, when he died, I was relieved in the sense that I could leave the job because I couldn't leave the job even though I was being bullied every day in it. Because if I left, he would have said, "Look, I told you, you're useless." And I just you're a failure, couldn't. right? Yeah. So I left that job, and I opened up my own business, and it was a good business, successful business, and in in in. February 2009, I had acquired two houses at that stage. I had bought a brand new Jeep. Um, you know, I had invested a good bit of money and them investments are still there. And I remember standing outside my, um, my garage and I looked up into it and I said, now, now am I useless? Look at all I've achieved. Wow. And I never sprayed. I never sprayed after that. I went, oh my God. I'm after spending all my life trying to prove a dead man wrong. And a month later, I slipped my wrist to the bone. Um, Yeah, and ended up in hospital. Wow, because all of those accomplishments didn't really mean anything to you. They were just to prove him wrong. That's what you're saying. They were just, I called it my tower of bullshit. Um, I had achieved so much material wealth. I had a, I was I became the most successful person in our family, material materialistically, um, right. I had yeah I had money and all that sort of stuff and um, yeah once I looked up and went now am I useless? <laughs> it was the <laughs> absolute turning point for me in a sense of it crushed me to think that I spent my life trying to prove a, a man wrong when he didn't yeah. care either way. If, even if he was alive, he wouldn't have cared. He, he still wouldn't have cared. And it taught me a valuable lesson. Well, that was the beginning of many valuable lessons. But, you know, a month later when I slipped my wrist, 
that was the beginning of the end for me in a sense of that was enough you know when you yeah. when I slit my wrist I slit it to the bone I lost six pints of blood I nearly died you know um yeah I had to kind of stop and and go down a different road because you know I was very destructive as a person at that stage to be honest yeah for sure well it sounds like that was your purpose so you had made your identity and your purpose trying to do everything you could to prove that you weren't worthless and useless. And then when you finally did it, you realize, well, but I'm not happy, right? Yeah, yeah. It was just empty. It was completely empty for me. It had no value. It was just, I just kept going to get more and more. And every time, like, I'd buy something or, you know, go, I had the money to do it. I'd get about five minutes of excitement and then it'd be gone, like burning paper in a fire. And it was just, I was constantly trying to get to that happiness that I thought I could do with materialistic things. Uh, turns out you can't. But um, yeah, so that was, it was a turning point in a sense of, you know, after that, I when I slipped my wrist, I, I ended up in a mental hospital. And, you know, it's not a great place to be. Um, you kind of see all sorts of people in it, like, you know, and... Just in the hospital for a weekend, I, I realized, I said, I better do something about this now because you could destroy an awful lot of people by killing yourself. And I realized yeah. that suicide doesn't end the pain. It just gives everyone else that little bit of pain that you have and it'll give it to them for life. Absolutely. So, you know, so when I realized that, I just said, I better cop myself on and try and work this head out and see could I figure it out and uh, yeah thankfully I have you know it's it's done and dusted now you know as far as I'm concerned mm-hmm. that's a powerful story so well when did you get the diagnosis of BPD was it when you slit your wrist in yeah, the hospital it was when okay. I yeah when I in 2009 February 2009 okay so at that time I mean first of all that's just a powerful story because that's exactly what you know, I think a lot of people with the diagnosis try to do, right? They have this, you know, well, we do have the temperament that mm. goes along with having BPD, the genetic component, but there is an element, I think, of childhood trauma or parent parental neglect. And, you know, you go through your whole life trying to figure out who you are and you wake up one day and you go, well, this isn't it. So I don't really know who I am. And for you to say like, oh, I have all this stuff, look at everything I've accomplished, but yet I'm, I'm still unhappy and I realize I've been trying to prove this man wrong and I would have never been right to begin with that's really powerful but at that point you know after you've accomplished all these things in your life and then you get this diagnosis of borderline personality disorder I mean what did the doctors do what what was the treatment the treatment when I went in I came out of hospital and um, when I went into the psychiatrist he he basically said to me he says look I'm going to put you on medication and I said no you're not and he says, I have to put you on medication because, you know, you, you really done a severe job on your wrist. And I said, look, I'm not going on medication because I'm running a business. And I have five lads that require me to be able to manage them. And they're depending on me for a wage every week. So I at least understand the mind I have now. I don't know what I'm going right. to be like on medication. I don't know, am I going to be slurring my speech? I've never done medication before. So... You know, there was a bit of to and fro with it where he was saying you need to go on medication because you're, you know, you're really at a bad place in your life. 
And I just put it mm-hmm. to him. I said, listen, do you know what you're at? You know, do you realize what you're dealing with? Like? And he said, yes. And can you teach me how to cope? And, right. and he said, yes. I said, well, then that's the end of it. There is no more to talk about. If you can teach me how to cope, that's the end of it. If you came to me and you said to me, can you spray my car? I would say yes. And that's the end of it. There is no more right. need to talk. So I says, either you can teach me how to cope or you can't. So I says, which is it? So I kind of put it back onto them to go, no, you're not taking the easy road with me because... I didn't know. I, I had a business to run. I had a business to run. I was like, no. So my yeah. my journey. Then, go on, sorry. No, I was gonna say. I was just gonna interject a minute and ask, like, what was the attitude of the doctors, especially because I think a lot of the listeners we have are in the United States. Mm, so mm. just curious. Um, in Ireland, what is the message behind BPD? What were they telling you that the diagnosis was? Did it have that same stigma that it has? No, here? no. I didn't even know I had BPD. Um, I didn't even know it. Um, I heard there's a stigma in Ireland. I was literally two years into therapy before they told me. Um, wow. And the only reason they told me is because I was working hard with books on, I thought it was ADHD. And um, mm-hmm. I said, you know, this ADHD, I think I'm getting on top of it. And my, my counselor one day said, Where, who told you you had ADHD? And <laughs> I said, well, I don't know. I'm kind of looking up all the traits. And it seemed, I seem to have a lot of traits of ADHD. And, right. she, and she said, no, you don't have ADHD. And I says, well, what do I have? Well, she says, like, you know, you know, and she she went like this. Well, you know, you're like you're getting on great. So, what does it matter? <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> you, I don't know. I'd like to know what sort of illness I have so I can work on it. Well, right. if you really want to know, she says, I'll tell you. But to me, you're just a human. <laughs> so, like, we can work with that. And I suppose she knew. <laughs> you know, what was coming, but I didn't. I said, yeah, right. I'd prefer to know. And she goes, look, you have a thing called borderline personality disorder. And I went, that doesn't even sound great. And she goes, no, that's why I didn't <laughs> want to tell you. I said, where do you, right. where do you get your names from? Like, do you just pick them out of a horror magazine? And she goes, yeah, do you, do you want to know any more? And I said, look, in for a penny, in for a pound. So she pulled out the diagnosis and she goes, look, these are the traits. What do you think? You know, I've done this on you, so, you know, I know what you have. But I prefer you to look at it and go, well, what do you think? Do you think you have it? So I looked at the traits, and I had eight out of nine, you know. And I was like, oh, Lord. After spending two years on ADHD, I have to scrap this now. So I went home and I looked at the borderline and then I, the worst thing was what I, everyone does is I looked it up and, of course, America. I didn't realize it. Like, it's just not a great job to have borderline in America. And um, <laughs> I was like, oh, the Lord. This isn't going to go down well. So Mm-mm. I was there going, right, okay, what will I do, what will I do? So to be honest with you, I had the list in front of me, and I said, right, break it down. You have eight. 
you have eight to work with. Keep it simple. Mm-hmm. I went in the following Wednesday and I said, look, I've eight, I've eight of these traits. I'm going to work on each one of them until they're gone. And she was saying, well, I'd like to talk about your past. I said, that's not going to happen. Number one, oh. let's start on page one. <laughs> I am getting rid of this, I said. Absolutely getting rid of it. We'll talk about my past in time. But I says, now I'm talking about borderline. If I have this diagnosis, Excellent. I'm controlling the system. I said, I've Excellent. been through counsellors before. You all hear my story. You all tell me I had a poor life. I know I had a poor life. I don't want to hear about it again. I don't need to come out here yeah. after an hour going, yeah, I had a crap life. We all know it. I'm working on borderline yeah. personality disorder. And I said, I can promise. That's so powerful. Yeah, well, I was sick of it. I was in therapy at 19 years of age. And, you know, I, I, I had, um, when I slipped my wrist, that was my fourth suicide attempt. You know, I had taken yeah. pills and then I upped the dosage and then I upped the dosage again. I mean, that dosage, the third time didn't work. I, that's the reason I slipped my wrist. I went, this will definitely work. Yeah. So Absolutely. It's just interesting to me because as a therapist, I say to people that come to see me for borderline personality disorder treatment, I, I say, like, I'm not, I don't want to talk about the past. Because if you keep talking about the past, you stay in the past. Completely, yeah. Yeah, right? yeah. Exactly. That's, that's really powerful that you said that. Okay, so, you know, basically you get the list of the diagnostic criteria and you start telling them how you want your treatment to go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I basically had, that's what I said, I had number, I had eight, eight, eight things to overcome. And I railroaded my own therapy. Every week I went in, she was like, so I'd like to talk to you about this this week. That's not happening. Listen, <laughs> let me explain this to you, I said. Let me explain it in my terms. I'm the customer. If you came to me in the morning with a, a red car and you said to me, I'd like my car sprayed pink. I will paint your car pink. So I said, I yep. said it's as simple as this. I'm the customer. I'm not talking about my past. I'm talking about borderline. That's my diagnosis. I said, let me ask you this. If I work on this and I remove all these traits, will I have the illness? And she said, no. I said, well, why do you want to talk to me about my past then? <laughs> I still know my past. I've lived it. Me telling you it again isn't going yeah. to change it. But I can change this, and that's what I'm going to work on. So it was like she was a brilliant therapist, absolutely brilliant. But I railroaded my mm-hmm. own therapy. I was like, because I was sick of it going, you know, you go in, you tell your story, they listen, you know, it's a charge or whatever at the end. And you feel terrible. <laughs> and you come out, yes. and every time you come out of therapy, you always go, oh, I meant to say this. <laughs> you know, and you, yeah. you have another week, yeah. and it's gone, and you get one hour. And you wish you had an hour and five minutes, but you don't. So I railroaded my therapy. And I, I, st- I stayed in therapy for four years. You know, I said, I'm not leaving this until yeah. it's gone. You know, I'd done over 300 hours of therapy um, in total. Mm-hmm. And I kept at it. I just kept at it until it was gone. 
and so did the therapy was it the was it the 300 hours of therapy and the four years in therapy and all the therapy you had since you were 19 that helped you or was it the what you decided your path was going to be in looking at that those eight symptoms of the of the personality disorder so right i i therapy is brilliant you know i'm not going to knock it it's brilliant when I came out with therapy in 2013, I had done DBT and CBT at that stage, but I still had anxiety. Mm-hmm. So when I left, yes, I was coping an awful lot better than 2009. In 2009, I would have been having meltdowns probably every week, two weeks max, uh, two weeks minimum. Um, in 2013, I was down to about uh maybe seven or eight meltdowns meltdowns a year. So it was a significant wow. drop. Um now and I'd stopped drinking. So and I'd stopped smoking cigarettes. Um you know I started looking after my health an awful lot better, which is huge for people with borderline. Um huge. We you know we we don't we don't have the shield that everyone else has. We're very vulnerable as a, as a people in a sense of food and everything else does affect us but um yeah i i had anxiety and all the work i put in it just felt a little bit off if i'm being honest i was like after putting four years into this and i still am anxious i'm still anxious so so you weren't cured so no 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 still anxiety no there was still anxiety definitely yeah Okay. So then you had to figure it out yourself. And I know that, you know, we talked before and you said that you had, there were four things that you do that you wouldn't have been able to recover with just the DBT and just the CBT. And it was food, exercise, sleep, and reflection, right? So those are the four things that you do even now. Oh, completely. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, you know, as I said, I spray cars. So, you know, I'm in a building on my own spraying cars. So the the beauty is when I'm spraying cars, I get to listen to books. So, you know, I've gone through over 400 books in, in, in um, years. And each yeah. book gives you new information and you try that. Excuse me. And um, all that information to date is I, I live my life now into four things. Because of the way my mind works, my mind has to be able to simplify everything. It has to break something down to its smallest part. So mm-hmm. I can't handle, you know, climb a mountain and do a yoga pose and maybe say a little prayer and then you'll be better. I, I'm just, I, I can't deal with that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, <laughs> I just want to go, well, just give it to me, basically. I don't want, you know, I don't want the Dalai Lama ringing me. Um so for me, I got it down to sleep, exercise, food, and reflection. And I can say that, you know, it's 2020 now. But that took years to get to that. It took years of research. And then it was actually gas because a person, you know, I was, I'm on a, a site, and it's a borderline site. And they were asking, yeah. oh, what books, what books do you have on, on, on um, you know, borderline? And to be honest with you, the first thought that comes into my head when anybody asks that is anything on the Holocaust. 
you know, read up anything on the Holocaust. Um, yeah, it'll make you humble because you don't have that bad of a life. So, you know, um, wow. read up yeah. on that. Um, but anyway, I didn't say that because sometimes that's offensive. And it's I mean it genuinely. I've read... I've read over 10 books on the Holocaust and it humbles you. It, you. You look at your own life and go, oh my God, I will never experience that or my wife or kids will never experience that horror. And that humbles, it humbles okay. me, to be honest with you. So, but the books I read were How the Brain Works, um, the heart, the lungs, the liver. Because I spray cars, I'm ignorant. I don't know what I'm at. You know, um, so I just okay. looked up everything and to try and find it. And yeah, it's, I mean, it's incredible. You mentioned the Holocaust, right? And you said it humbles you. you. When you read and you hear about these other horrific things that have happened in history. And I think that that relates back to one of my previous episodes when I'm talking about moral compass work. So you found your moral compass in different ways through all these you know, books that you were reading where you say, okay, well, I have to have this this moral value of humility and when i read about this horrific event that happens the holocaust i feel humble so and when i read about things like the body and the mind and exercise then you're learning about what's what you should put in your body to make yourself feel like at you know the optimal your optimal yeah, health yeah right absolutely um yeah I, i'm a foot look with me a hundred percent you hear people saying Oh, I would do anything. I would do. I love this. Like people go, I would do anything, absolutely anything, to get rid of the pain in my head. Really, anything, a hundred percent, anything. Will you change your diet? Forget about it. It's not worth it. <laughs> All right, would, I thought you said anything. Yeah, I'm not doing that. I like my. Ma- but Sean, there's a McDonald's right exactly. Down the road, yeah, sure. yeah, and and like the minute, and that's it. I mean. Yeah, I really, really, well, the proof's in the pudding. I don't suffer anymore. I wanted the pain to leave my head. You know, that constant pain in your head where it's horrendous. When you wake up, you wish you were dead. And you wake up and you go, oh, and after waking up, why can't I just die in my sleep, you know? And to wake up, I woke up like that for 13, 14 years every day, wishing I was dead. Um, while trying to yeah. hopefully build a bit of a life on the side of it, but still not being happy. And that's a horrible feeling to wake up with every day, to actually be that miserable in your life. And look, you know, I lived a horrific life, so, you know, uh, it kind of, I understood that's why. But I wanted mm-hmm. to end. I actually wanted to end. I didn't want to end where... I was just kind of happy and getting through my day and surviving. I actually wanted it to completely end where I thrive, where I actually wake up and BPD isn't even in my head. It's like not an issue. And I'm at that stage now. Thankfully, I'm at that stage. But what I found out with people is, you know, they all want to be better, but none of them want to do the basics. You know, as I said, there's... What did you say? Not, yeah, not, Go like, ahead, yeah. You know, 100 people want to be better. 98, 98 of them won't do anything. They will not change their lifestyle. You know, and I, like, 
when I say to people, I would talk to people, I try and help people because, of course, you, you, you get better and you try and help people. But human nature is human nature. Look what happened to Jesus when he tried to help people. People don't get to, you know, <laughs> they don't like change. Yeah. <laughs> they just do not like change. That's right. And that's just the history of the human. But, you know, when you when you go to people and say, listen, you know, this works for me. It might work for you. They're, they're just like, yeah. I remember one lad said to me, um, because I keep it basic. I keep it basic. I'm not a therapist. I spray cars. But I remember one lad, and I said, look, this really works for me. And he says, what sort of qualifications do you have? And I went, I'm only asking you to eat vegetables. Like, <laughs> when did we need a qualification to eat a vegetable? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what sort of world are we living in now where you need a qualification to eat vegetables? It's like, <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> well, I think you, you, I think that you defied the odds, you know, I think that you said, so if I look at your journey and then I look at the journey of, let's say, a quote unquote typical person with that diagnosis, the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, they're going to be over medicated and they're going to be put through years of very expensive DBT and CBT therapy if they can even afford it. And they're going to have this idea in their head that BPD is part of their identity. And you said, you didn't do that. You said, I at least understand the mind that I have now. So you said, I don't want meds because at least I get what's in my head. And you said, what do you mean you're not going to tell me my diagnosis? If I don't have ADHD, lady, you better tell me what I have so that we can move on from this. Completely. And you left therapy and you didn't stop growing when you left therapy. You weren't satisfied with this like all the time low-level anxiety no no I mean right? like one of the major drives for me was I didn't want children you know like you know you understand the illness you're you you get up every day you have this illness and I didn't want to bring children into this world when I couldn't even cope myself oh. and I said to my wife at one said I don't I don't really want children and she said to me you know Sean like anything you put your mind to you always achieve it you know, anything, she says, whatever it is in your head, she says, you just have this, have this hyper focus. Why not get better? And I said, I don't know. There doesn't seem to be any kind of clear indication that you can get better from this. And she said to me, you never listened to anyone before in your life. Are you going to honestly start now? <laughs> so, and I kind of went, yeah, I suppose I actually never did. So she said, look, I understand if you don't want children and I'll still marry you. But I would love children. And she said, I really would love to have a child. And she says, you will be a great father. I says, I don't think so. She goes, trust me, work at this and make it your project like you make other projects. Right. So on the on the 6th of April, 2013, I was signed off therapy. And on the 14th of April, my wife got pregnant. So it was it was brilliant. It wow. was kind of like a week later. <laughs> yeah, a week <laughs> later after I was that. And I've never had therapy since. I've never stopped researching the mind since. But, yeah, she was right. And mm-hmm. I, look, I have borderline personality disorder. I don't really. I just have a name that they need to give me. Um, mm-hmm. because at 2020, well, in 2013, 
I can't be diagnosed anymore. So what do I have now? And I'm still the same. I'm still the same person. I always thought, yeah. oh God, who will I be when I'm better? And I was terrified of this new person that was going to come into my life. And as it turns out, no, I'm still as eccentric. I, I, I'll break into a dance, I, I, you know, randomly for, for a bit of messing <laughs> or as a bit of, uh, or I'm yes. going to give you now the Irish, as a bit of crack. Crack in Irish means fun. Um, I know you have a different word for it, but uh, yeah. So uh, I'm still the same, but I don't have all the torment yes. in my mind. That's gone. I don't have all the intrusive thoughts in my mind. You know, I'm not bombarded. Right. That's great. That's a great way to put it. That's exactly what, you know, I've been trying to drive home in this podcast. And then just in like, I guess in a different way is that, you can't, there is truth to the fact that you'll always have this, the temperament of the person that's born with BPD. So I do the same thing. I break out into dance and <clears throat> sing really loudly. If I have three therapy sessions and I have bottled up energy, you better bet I'm going to run down the stairs and make my presence. Known yeah. in the house. So those kinds of things, they stick. But the bad parts, the tormenting, the emotional pain, the when you feel so sad that your heart feels like it's literally breaking, that part you can Oh, overcome. absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and, you know, I'll, I'll say this. I still feel pain. I mean, and I love that. I still feel, you know, pain. I mean, I wrote, uh, it's my sister's birthday today. I wrote her, uh, I asked her, did she want anything? She's 55 and she has been with me obviously from day one, she's my sister, but she is my guiding light. Um, and I, I just sent her a text message today and I said, look, I love you so much and without you, I don't think I would be here because you always listened and you never judged me. And, you know, you allowed me to grow through the darkness of the dirt until I reached the sunlight. And I cried. I cried right now going, oh my God, like... Yeah. It's amazing how much impact some people can have on others. And that's what I want to do with other people. Go, hey, you're all right. You can get through this. You know, it can be done. And uh, 100% I believe it can be done because I've done it. I've lived, I have done it. I mean, when you wake up every day and you want to kill yourself to having no suicidal thoughts, I have three small kids. I mean, if mental health have children <laughs> they'll remind you every day about it <laughs> and I'm I'm That's off right. for five weeks now with my children and not one meltdown that I have mm-hmm. you know so that's amazing that it's is incredible. and and you're talking six-year-old and two four-year-olds and they fight every 15 minutes <laughs> yeah they, every 15 minutes they fight <clears throat> so um yeah, and not once did I have a meltdown. You know, I'd say, yeah, I did, but it actually happened. I haven't. And that's a testament to, can you get better? Of course you can. You know. Absolutely. That's something to be proud of right there. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 Well, you said something I think that is very important. For, I want, you know, the listeners to hear this. You said that two out of 100 people diagnosed with BPD want help but about 98 of them just want to tell their story. And so I just, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you really do want to overcome the diagnosis, Sean and I, we met, I met Sean on a borderline personality disorder, Facebook 
community group. So that's how we know each other. I just saw him posting and I thought, this guy, this, I'm number one and he's number two. Two, we are two of those 100 people. And if you're part of that 98, try to see it our way. Try to look at it a different way because if what you're doing with your medicine, you're like being over medicated. And if you're just in therapy with the same person who's not, who's just walking on eggshells and not telling you your diagnosis and not helping you change, just know that there are other ways for you to get better. And Sean in Ireland, another country, a guy that I've never met before, me over here on the East Coast, Pennsylvania, United States, we've both done it. We're different people, different genders from different parts of the world. You can do it too. What message do you have along those lines for people out there, Sean? I keep failing forward. Absolutely. I mean, I'm talking to you today at 2020. I pick myself up every day and I kept failing forward. I, I would make mistake. I would come home. I'd cry. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm six foot one. I'm a big lad, but I cry. Yeah, 100%. I get up the next day, I would think, what did I do? And I would tweak it a small amount. I was very conscious not to make the same mistake twice, but I made it very much similar times. But I just kept trying a little bit different every time. And that's all it takes. It's just, it's the ability to get up and try again. I mean, my wife had children with me and I asked her one day, how would you have children with a person of such a severe mental illness, like I have post-traumatic stress disorder and severe anxiety disorder as well. Um, And she says, because you won't stop. You don't lie under it. She says, you're not lying. You don't lie in the bed and feel sorry for yourself. She says, you actually, I can see the amount of effort you put into overcoming your illness. And she says, that's why I stick by you. She says, if you -hmm. you just were coming in and just, you know, forgetting about it, she says, no, I wouldn't have a family with you. I don't want that. You know, so yeah. that's my my <clears throat> my main thing was you're not going to get it right first time. And it hurts. And you're not going to get it right the second time. It took me 106 times, which I'm proud of, 106 times for a person to come up from behind me because I actually, because my father dragged me out of bed and bed me. You could not touch me from behind or I would jump with fear. Okay. It took me 106 times to tell my mind, because I'm spraying, I have a big suit on, I have a mask, so I can't, and I wear my headphones, so people would have to touch me from behind to get my attention, and I I would jump. Right. And it took me 106 times to say to myself, you're okay, you're not a child, you're safe, you're in work, it's okay, nobody's trying to hurt you. It didn't take 107 times. And I'm, that is one of my proudest moments where I don't jump anymore. That's amazing. And to be able, so my point is, is it took 106, but it didn't take 107. Mm-hmm. And that's my point. Is that's right. Some things you might have to fight and fight and fight with them, but they will eventually go. They eventually go. And that's something that I, yeah, I'm proud 100%. You have to fail forward. You have to. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing because that's what it is. It's, you know, the one of the biggest obstacles for people with BPD is that it hurts. Everything hurts. <clears throat> so failing 106 times 
hurts, but you didn't have to do it 107 times. So the idea is that there's a finite period of time. There's a short period of time where your pain might increase tenfold immensely. But how bad do you want it? You have to push forward until eventually you don't have that level of pain. It will happen. But you have to be willing to make it your project. How badly do you really the way want it? Yeah, exactly. The right? way I look at it is this. We all hate pain because we, we do feel pain more than other people. I know that. I know 100%. I, I have talked to yeah. people throughout the years. I've talked to thousands of people because I'm inquisitive. And I've talked to an awful lot of um, neurotypical people. And they just don't feel the pain like mm-hmm. we do. But my point is this, right? I woke up every morning. I wanted to kill myself, right? I felt miserable. I used to buy stuff to try and make myself happy, but I was miserable. You know, how much more pain is failing 106 times? It wasn't that big of a deal. It was just something I already done anyway. I mean, <clears throat> I already felt like a failure. Just fail again. Right. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's gas now because when someone says to me, I'll give you an example, like years ago when I'd make a mistake in my job, and I'd be, you know, and I actually went back to my job. So this is this is mad in its own way. This I actually went back to my job because I sold my business because the twins were coming, and I didn't want the pressure of a business mm-hmm. and twins. I don't want, I didn't want to rear my family and give them money and they didn't understand their father or even know about. I want them to have a, a dad, you know. So I sold my business, right. yeah, and I went back to the exact same place where I was bullied, and the person bullying me was still bullying people. Except for this time, I was a completely different person. So like, before I left, he would say, look at the state of this job, you've messed it up. And I would go home and I'd cry and I'd just Mm -hmm. go to bed feeling worthless. And then 10 years on, he would, you know, of course I still make mistakes, everyone does. He'd say, look at the state of this job, you've messed it up. And then i go, I did, didn't I? You did. I did. What do we do now? How did you mess that up? Well, I put too much paint on. That's generally how you mess up paintwork. You know. What do we do? Yeah. Will, we, will we ring the UN? Or will I fix it? You know. So now, yeah. I look at mistakes and go, yeah, I'm not a robot. Whereas before, I used to take it personal and go, oh my God, that's, that's your own self-worth. And even... Even in work now, one of the lads, he'd say to me, you're useless, aren't you? I say, no, and all I've accomplished from it, isn't it mental to think, could you imagine if I was good at my job? <laughs> you know, <laughs> imagine all I would have achieved, yeah. you know. So I'm a different person yeah. Yeah. in a sense of I've worked hard to find me. You know, BPD is me. Mm-hmm. That's just something that happened. You know, I've worked hard to find myself. Yeah. I worked hard to find who I was. And there's one thing that always sticks in my head. People go, oh, I have demons. There's no demons in your head. There is no demons. There's a scared, innocent child that got buried in the darkness of your yeah. mind. And then screams is that child that just wants to be helped. It wants to be, it wants someone to go in there, pull out its hand and, and bring that child out. And that's what them. That there is, 
you know, I always hear this, oh, you have demons. You don't have demons. You, you don't. Where are these demons come? There's no demons. It's just a scared child Mm-mm. that nobody loved. That's all it is. That's right. That's it. That's right. That's a huge part of it. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much. That's just such a, an incredibly powerful story for people to hear. I think it needs to be heard. I think that more people need to step forward and say, look, I had BPD and it was hard, but I overcame it. More people need to step forward in order for us to negate some of the stigma. I mean, it is pretty bad here. They just immediately over-medicate, like I was saying. And so this message of hope, it needs to be heard. If you're out there and you have BPD, I mean, that doesn't have to be your life. No, it doesn't no. have to be. So, yeah, any last Any, any last, last words? words. Um, <laughs> Sean? Definitely, no, it doesn't have to be your life. I mean, uh, to be, to, the ability to be able to say, I'm happy was something I thought I'd never achieve. Genuinely happy inside. No pretense, no yeah. putting on a smile so everyone would think I'm happy. And deep down, I was miserable. I'm genuinely happy. And I've done it without medication. I've done it with food, exercise, sleeping. I figured out like that, you know, we need to sleep at certain times. We need, we need good food. We, we have an awful lot more thoughts than the average person. So we need a little bit more good fuel. If you have to go on a long distance, you put more fuel in your car. You know, we do think more than the average person. If you if you talk to anybody, you go, have, yeah. you, have you lots of thoughts? Every one of them go, oh, I have loads of thoughts in my head. Well, if a computer is processing that amount yeah. of thoughts, it needs a little bit more energy than a computer that's not. So when you simplify it and look at it and go, right. you just need to feed yourself properly. And plenty like that would be my main thing. When I I was talking to doctors and I said that to them, I said, you know, why don't you talk about the body? Why don't you talk about how to feed yourself? You know, the circadian rhythm where your body will only heal itself from ten o'clock at night till two o'clock in the morning. That's scientifically proven. To be able to say to someone with you know, right. I'm not a doctor. I'll put it this way. If I was a doctor and someone came in to me with BPD, I would say to them, listen, if you're really committed to doing this, you need to exercise. You need to clean up. You need, Move, to, you need to clean right. up your diet. You know, if it, if it didn't grow on the ground, don't eat it. Because, yep. you know, for 200,000 years, we've been eating fruit, uh, stuff that grew on the ground. And all of a sudden, then we're eating processed food and the bacteria that reside inside us hasn't a clue what's going on. You know, it's too much of a jump. And we wonder why we have mental health. And, yep. um, you know, I mean, in Ireland, we only feed our cows grass. And I read up that you feed cows grains. And I don't know much about stuff like this. I would imagine a grass-fed cow eating its natural food would be healthier than a grain-fed cow, because grains aren't the cow's natural food. Right, 100%. I don't, see, we yep. don't have anything but grass-fed. We do, we literally, our cow, it rains so much in Ireland that the cows are always out. Um, so, <clears throat> if you look at it in a simplistic term, we're not designed for processed foods. And, if you if you Absolutely. really want this to work, 
I mean, could you imagine turning around and saying to someone, listen, this could really work if you just go to bed, if, like staying up till two o'clock in the morning and wondering why you're suffering. I mean, really? You know? <laughs> you know, when... Eating liters, drink, drinking liters <clears throat> of Mountain Dew and eating a bunch of McDonald's never and never moving. Never doing any physical movement. I was called yeah, in... It's, it's, I was called in one day and I was asked um, to call in and, and, you know, from the our medical place here in Ireland and, you know, could you have a chat with this lad? And I went in and I was chatting to him and I said, like, what's your diet like? And he goes, yeah, I like pizza and I like, you know, crisps and, and chips and um, or fries, as you call them. And I says, and what else do you eat? Oh, that's about it. So how do you expect to cope? Like, how would you cope? Like, you're trying to build a body out of pizza. How do you build, like, where do you get the, where's your iron coming from? Where's your magnesium? I said, you know, when you're stressed, your body is literally looks into itself and goes, I need iron, I need magnesium, you know? These are things I need, right? And it looks down yeah. and you've just fed it a pizza. Yep. And it's going, I, 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 what do you want me to do with this? <laughs> I said, like, what do you expect? <laughs> like, really, what do you expect? And then you'll hear people going, yeah, well, it's 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 the illness. It's the illness that's making me eat these things. No, no. Well, to be fair, we are impulsive. impulsive, So the sweet stuff tastes better. Yeah, but my argument is push through it. You know, I love sweets and I eat sweets, but eat as much healthy food as you possibly can. Go to bed, exercise, and you know, write. Write a few pages. You know you're a therapist. Write your pages. Mm-hmm. Clean out that head from the night before. I mean, you know, take out the gunk out of your head from the night before. And the one thing I always say to people is this: if and and people with borderline. I mean, I love people with borderline because I have, I had, or have borderline. I mean, we're like zebras in a field full of horses. You know, um, <clears throat> you know, we look yeah. like horses, but we're not. Um, uh, you know we will help everyone and we're good people and you know we, we're very kind natured until we're not um, you know but ask anyone with BPD to spend five minutes alone with their own thoughts and they'll run a mile it's like I'm not going near there I am not going near that part of my head and that's the part of the head that wants you to go hey I'm here please help me you know that's, that's important, like, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, I haven't mentioned medication. I haven't mentioned anything. The only thing I mention is what humans need to do. Sleep, exercise, eat. That came from the earth. You know, and if you look at humans, when we were sitting in campfires, we talked. Yep. That's all we need to do as a species. Yeah. I mean, you know, you take a fish out of water and wonder why it's dead. Because you've just removed it from its environment. We are not designed to watch Netflix at 2 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) It's just not something we're designed to do. You know, and then (laughs) wonder why we suffer. It's not really the... it's, it's. And again, I get it. I would love to have a drink, but I don't drink. I'd love to smoke a cigarette. I love smoking cigarettes when I smoke. But I don't smoke. If you're not, like, there's a phrase, the Irish are great for their stories. 
And I remember chatting to an old lady once. And this was before I got better, but my head was always giving me hell and giving me hell. And she turned around and she goes, ah, it mustn't be that bad if you're not willing to change. You know, and I thought, it mustn't be. Wow. It mustn't be that bad if you're not And I'll never forget change. that. I'll never forget go. that. She was an elderly woman and she goes, it mustn't be that bad if you're not willing to change. You know, yeah, and I or just thought, try. So, yeah, like what she meant was, well, obviously the pain of what you're doing is not greater than the pain that you're saying you have, because you would stop, you know, and that just stuck out in my mind. Yeah. It really stuck out in my mind that, yeah, you do have to change. You, I give up drinking, I give up smoking, Um, yeah, I give up fast food. I probably have, I used to have like, you know, fast food, that's what you call it too, isn't it? Fast food, like, say, McDonald's or whatever. I used to have that three times a week. Yeah. Um, you know, like 150-odd times a year. I would have fast food now 12 times a year, once a month. You know. Um, so it completely changed my diet in that sense. You know, making sure, making sure my diet was... Vegetables, nuts, seeds, fruit, anything that came from the earth, you know. And them, li- them little changes yeah, are, are huge in the sense of coping because you literally have the energy to cope with them. And that's what we need. We, to me, it's an energy game. If you, if you get up in the morning and your head is giving you hell, you need a lot of energy for that, you know. And that's the way I look at it, is that it, yeah. it can't look... It can be done. There's no way it can't be done. And here's the benefits. This is this this is definitely the winner for me. I can help my children now. So I'm not worried about mental health anymore. I'm not worried if my children are anxious when they get older. Because I know how to... How can you have a mental illness if you know how to navigate it? It's impossible. It's, you see, it's fed into your head. Absolutely. It's like, oh, you have a mental illness. Oh, God, here, give me that coat on. I'll wear this for life. But And I, and, and this is the one thing I always That's say right. to people, right? Oh, so you have a mental illness. Oh, I have a severe mental illness, right? <laughs> and the love says this, right? So, it's you know, I have BPD. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. It's one of the top mental illnesses. So you have mental oh, So it's, it's a nightmare, is it? Yeah, it's a nightmare. So your head is always giving you horrible thoughts. Horrible. And we on holidays last year. I had a great time on holidays. And did you enjoy yourself? Wonderful. <laughs> and where was your BPD? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, did you leave it at home? or Like, how can you have a horrible time every day and then you have a great time? Like, when you have diabetes, you still have it on holidays. You still can't eat cake on holidays because you're diabetic. So where was your illness on holidays? Like, how did you have a good time if you were such a severe yeah. illness? And people never think like that. They never think, yeah. well, actually, this isn't real. I mean, you can't have a mental illness unless someone else tells you you have it. You, you can't. You know, exactly. I'll always state yeah. the fact there's about 350 million people with borderline personality disorder. That's enough to fill America, right? So if you put us all in America, yeah. Yeah. it wouldn't be great. <laughs> We're like great white sharks. We need to be well spread out. But if you put us all, <laughs> I know it's true. <laughs> if you put every one of us into America, yeah. 
we would be the norm. Anyone else that came in that wasn't acting like those would not be the norm. So, and, uh, you know, that's my, I just say that to people, don't wear this label as if it's you. It's not you. I mean, uh, I, I'm not big into exercise. I know another person at Borderline, and he loves exercise. We're not all the same. We're just a different person. It's like, as I said to you the other day, a hybrid car is still a car, but it's wired differently. You know? That we are. We're we only are wired, wired differently. differently. Like, another true. thing I would say is like, you know, just because a PlayStation game doesn't work in an Xbox, it doesn't mean there's something wrong with the game. You know, there's nothing wrong with us. That's right. We just, I believe we came without a manual. <laughs> I think that's what happened. And I think these psychiatrists, <laughs> no offense, don't fully understand us. And that's the problem. They're, they're trying to go, I don't know what to do with you, so I'm just going to medicate you because you could do anything. And at least when you're medicated, well, it's a win-win for me because you might kill yourself, but you won't have any quality of life. That's right. No one can sue yeah. you. Right? So you're not going to kill yourself, which means that I can't. I don't have to assume the liability of you committing suicide. And not only that, I don't have to feel so bad about myself as a clinician because I can't help you anyway. No. I don't really know what I'm doing. People, I think that clinicians that don't have BPD have a very difficult time treating it because if you don't know what goes on in this brain of mine, you're not going to be able to help me. That's why I love working with people with BPD. But we're nearing the end of our episode today. So I just want to take a minute and say thank you again. I think that we're going to have to have you back when we do episodes about parenting and nutrition and exercise because... I know all of the things that you're saying are also things that have worked for me, especially movement. Without movement, yeah, I am not a nice yeah. <laughs> BPD person. So. so, yeah, but thank you so much for being Thanks for having me. on the yeah, show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Can you just let our listeners know where they can contact you? Whether um, it's yeah, it's Sean Keys on, um, on Facebook. Sean Keys, SK Awareness. Um, and email is seankeys09 at gmail.com. Yeah, yeah. No, Perfect. thank you, thank Rose. You so Thanks much. very much for having me. Okay, thanks for listening. That was from Borderline and Beautiful, a production of Thrive Mind Body LLC, online coaching that helps frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at thriveonlinecounseling.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or any app that you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every Monday. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from the last episodes, and I'd love to hear whatever questions you have, too. Just download the Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. We'll have all those links in the show description. Okay, we made it. Thanks again for listening. I'm Rose Skeeters, and I'll be back next week with another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Talk to you then.